gorgeous Georgian goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What is going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Ghost reporting for duty here on a Monday. Ready to talk some MMA with you here for the next hour or so. Got to discuss Bell Tour 281 and UFC on Vegas. Wait, UFC on ESPN at <laughs> 36. You know what trips me out is there's a different hashtag for when you're tweeting on Fight Night. And then there's all these versions of calling the main event by different names. The Fight Night and series and whatever but threw me off there for a second damn it i always blow the intro anyway so yeah we're going to talk about these two cards that took place back to back friday and saturday so bellator was in london england and the ufc was in las vegas we're in las vegas so hope you all had a a nice weekend and uh, buckle up talk about some of the latest news as well goes we might address cancel culture at some point but um we'll go in order all right bell tour 281 took place on friday and go over some of the results here you know the uh, i want to skip almost to the prelim main event if you will daniel weichel defeated rob whiteford uh by tko stoppage in the first round and then we get to the main event. Sorry, the main card. Simone Simon Biong defeated Luke Trainer. Paul Daly then defeated Wendell Giacomo in his retirement fight. Air quotes there. Kana Watanabe uh, defeated Denise Kilholtz by submission, round two. These are women's flyweights. Watanabe definitely got my attention because of rankings. I got to keep an eye on some of these. Fabian Edwards defeated Leota Machida. Oh, painful to watch that. Nothing against Fabian Edwards, but you can just tell, man, when those veterans, those grizzly veterans are brushing up on retirement, it's those horrible, horrible losses that they take, whether it's performance, submission, KO, and then you start to throw out the R word. Uh, who doesn't like me at uh, Leoto Machida? But yeah, he got clobbered there by Fabian Edwards, brother of Leon Edwards. Logan Storley defeated Michael Page in the main event. Not the most exciting main event, if I'm being honest. And I remember saying that one week ago as well for Paris, France. You know, I, I, Bellator went to two great sporting countries, meaning countries that produce. Uh, great athletes in all kinds of different sports. Paris, France being, you know, a place that just opened up recently. Bellator's now been there a few times. UFC's going for the first time. And uh, Bader controlled and defeated Czech Congo. I felt like Logan Storley did the same thing. Like an ass wasn't kicked. All right, goes. what did you think? You want to start with Daly, Leoto, or skip straight to the main event? The floor's yours. I guess uh, start with Daly. Like, I mean, if this is his last fight, which I don't think it will be, 
I think I will be in MMA, but I, I think he'll go on to do other things. Um, what a way to go. You know, Semtex went off one last time, and uh, I thought it was a, a great environment for him to do it. Everything just kind of worked out. The guy's been a part of mixed martial arts for so long, you know, so, so many different eras that uh, he does deserve an applause on the way out. But I think it is time to go. I don't I don't think he's, you know, I, you mentioned the R word with Leota Machida. Like, that feels a little different than Paul Daly. Paul Daly hasn't been getting lit up. He's just been losing fights. And uh, I think it's good to see him go out that way. And then Leota Machida, yeah, man. Um, you have to remember, this is a dude that for a long time, part of the luster there was he was untouchable, right? You couldn't even get to him because he was so quick and, and had such great reactions. That's all gone now. Uh, so if I'm him, yeah, you got to you gotta conserve your brain, man. I, I don't know that you want to do this much longer. I think this should be it for him. Just because it's like one of those, you know, the best way you can describe it is, because I, I believe you can say who hasn't seen Rocky. And remember Rocky 1 and even times during Rocky 2 where, excuse me, where Rocky would just kind of stumble and fumble around like he just didn't belong, you know? And and then you even hear in one of the two movies, I think it's probably two, but I still remember, um, what was the wife's name again? Adrian. Yeah, Adrian say, stop the fight. You know, you just hear her say that, right? Um, and you can see her concern is like, do you really need to do this? You put us through a lot. And so I, I think collectively MMA fans and even media, we start to care about these athletes, you know? And so when you see that weird stumble or the eyes roll back or just the body stiff, there's just a few instances of a finish where you're like, Oh no, you know, homeboy's all right. You say that to yourself. Then when you watch the highlights in slow motion, that makes it even worse. And I think, I think I went through a little bit of that with, uh, with Leoto, man. Yeah, it was sad. Um, I, I don't want to see that happen for him. And yeah, I don't think, I just don't think he's really a title contender anymore. Even if he was, like, would he really hold onto the belt that long? I think, I think it might be time to wrap it up for him. Well, see, and here's that's the thing when you mentioned Paul Daly and when I mentioned air quotes, is right now fighters have a good opportunity to make money in different types of combat settings there's bare knuckle and then there's that celebrity boxing world right or boxing if i guess we want to just call it that uh you know this is where a lot of the fighters can catch on their fame their skills may not be there but their fame is and the athletes i think see it as an opportunity to really really set themselves up almost like a testimonial of sorts for the time they've been there and then of course they convince themselves you know what i kind of mailed it in these last few and this guy's not that good you know he hasn't reached his peak yet he or she hasn't reached his or her peak yet and if i just buckle down and now that i'm gonna get paid some good money and now that i can say what i want because i'm not tied to that one promotion or whatever i know i can hone in and sometimes you'll see a pretty decent performance from someone that can pull it off, like an Anderson Silva against Julio Cesar Chavez or whatever, you'll just see some where you're like, oh, okay. 
and they just see it as, hey, I'm not going to ever stop training. And it's like I just went in there and had a hard day of sparring, you know, except we went in with four-ounce gloves. And I'm starting to get that part of it. Um, and so with Paul Daly goes, even I heard Scott Coker's press conference post-fight, he was saying that Paul was already texting the matchmaker saying, hey, what's up? You got something? <laughs> or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that meant his showtime people anything related to Showtime boxing or MMA. And so I would expect to see Paul Daly there still, unless they, unless it becomes a money issue, then I guess Mm -hmm. he can always say, well, as far as MMA goes, I retired on a, on a good note, but if there's something dangling out there or whatever, then I think he would still do it again. I, I think he might be done with MMA, but I, could see him doing a Logan Paul's type of thing, you know, Jake Paul, one of those guys. I think that might make sense for him. Yeah, if you think about it, he's perfect for that. You know, uh, he's going to talk a good game leading up to the fight, and he's got the KOs for the video package, you know, to sell this thing, to, to, I think, make Logan or Paul or Jake, and I'm not saying they'd be interested, but anybody from that world, Frank Gore, I don't know, someone, for them to motivate them. You know, hey, this guy packs a punch, man. They call him Simtex for a reason. He fought 60-some fights out there. Like, he's no joke. He can still bring it. So maybe him versus, you know, we always throw out the Paul brothers, right? But, for for example, Dan Hardy's boxing Diego Sanchez. Mm -hmm. So why not Paul Daly versus Josh Koscheck? Or I don't know, or... You know, you can kind of mix and match some of these names out there that that um, I think still can compete. And if you match their level of uh, experience or age or whatever, then I think you may have something. Um, so God bless him if this was his last one. And But I don't think it was. I, I could just tell right away between what Scott was saying. Scott Coker was saying, and the history of retirements. Like what, ninety percent probably aren't retired. They they always come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know it's funny. We should probably look into that. But I would say, God, it's got to be about like eighty percent, right? Come back somewhere around there. Well, who's who hasn't come back? Who who's stuck with it? All I can think of right off the top of my head is Habib. Up until about a year ago, even GSP was teasing it. Yeah, 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 for the right, you know, whatever. Like, but Connor, of course, he's had like three. He came back. So Hudo, he just got in into Usada again, and even though he hasn't technically fought, we expect him to. Who'd you say? Chris Lytle, Ricardo Lamas. Now, granted, these are Lytles has been for a while. Lamas just retired about it. What a year ago. Who else? I don't know. Mm, I thought Couture retired and came back and beat Tim Sylvia. And I uh, thought Liddell was gone for a while. He never retired. Just Dana asked him to back away. And then he came back and fought one more time. Like, you know, against Tito. That was ugly. Um, Forrest. Yeah, Griffin's retired. So we can probably rattle off like four and come up with a retired four and come up with a retired, you know, four that comeback. It's maybe about 80% is right. But like I say, they're, they're not many of them. 
There's not many mm-hmm. of them that have stuck to it. But Benavides just retired. Let's see if he sticks to it. I I don't think I'll see him lured by the the boxing world, but you know, and there's nothing wrong with it, to be honest. Um you know, but would you be shocked to be if Benavides wound up on an Eagle FC? Hey, I just didn't like the way I ended, you know. I wanted to do it one more time on my terms. It's the stuff that you always kind of hear. The, all these lines are rehearsed and and that's fine, yeah. you know. But I guess I'm just gonna stick with it. I don't think I don't think we've seen Paul Daly for the last time. That's that. If I'm wrong, hey, cool. But I can, you know, no gloves were laid down in the cage. So Anyway, Logan Storley defeated Michael Venom Page. He's now the interim champion over at Bellator for the welterweight division. And the reason he's the interim is because uh, Yaroslav, Yaroslav Amosov is the undisputed champ. However, he has taken up arms and is fighting for his country in the Ukraine. Respect all the way around from everyone as far as that decision goes. Um. We expect him back. He's an undefeated fighter. He's like 25, 26, and 0. So I guess the way it's supposed to line up is Storley and him will unify. But we don't know how long this war is going to last in the Ukraine. We don't know if he's going to be there till the bitter end. Uh, I guess he could come back at any time. But um, like I say, I don't know when this war will end. And then once it does, I don't know if he'll be ready to come back right away or how this is going to work. So in the meantime, Storley will operate as the interim champion. However, you know, he, he, he's not off and running. We'll say, and the reason I say that is because he defeated Michael Venom page by split decision. However, the fight was just not entertaining at all. He did what he had to do and he used his main strength, which is wrestling. But even towards the end, when again, going back to the Scott Coker press conference, he said he scored it for Michael Venom page. And he also said he talked to Storley and said, hey, hey, you know, we still need you to get better at the other martial arts because this this isn't a, this isn't very entertaining. And you know what? The way he said it, I thought was is kind of as kind as you could kind of say it. Because you can't stop someone from fighting that way. It's martial, mixed martial arts, and he's just applying his skill set to the rules. But what I could understand is Scott saying, you know, we're going to kind of have you as a co-main event guy. Uh, until you can really main event. Um, he, I don't think he would ever say that to Bader, but he probably went through the same thing with Bader and and Congo the week before. And I get what he's saying. Goes those fans were fiending for some action, and they just couldn't get it. Yeah, I mean, I understand where he's coming from. I've said this before. You know, your problem your problem isn't with Storley. Your problem is with mixed martial arts because he has the option of doing that. Now, you, what you can do to counter that is, yeah, put him in a co-main, that sort of stuff. Um, you can do all that, and Storley would deserve that, but uh, he fought the fight that he needed to fight to, to win. You know, like Michael Venom Page isn't – you don't have to just look at it as I could potentially lose this fight or never see a title fight again. Man, you can't get that image of what he did to side. Like, he is a dangerous guy. He can end you. So I understand why Logan Storley went after him the way he did. Um, yeah, it wasn't pleasing. I get it. But you have to look at all of Logan Storley's career. And all of his career hasn't been like that. You know, he's been pretty – I'm not saying he's the most exciting fighter on the, on the planet, 
but he's not the most boring fighter either. You know, we I think we just all kind of get it. Like that's what he had to do for that particular fight. I don't know that he'd necessarily come out and fight the next one just like that. I don't think he's that type of guy. So um, yeah, it's his mulligan probably. But uh, that's where it just gets tricky. I think if you're a promoter, I don't know that you can really say those types of things that way. Well, what you can infer, though, is come negotiation time, don't expect a big bump. Because I get what Scott was saying. He had him controlled against the fence. But when he had him controlled, there wasn't this attempt to either improve position much or to beat him up much. And I think it's because controlling him and winding down the clock was just bringing him closer to the title. Now, that said, he also didn't do it in minute one. So what was happening was he was dodging some of those strikes by Michael Venom Page the first two minutes or three minutes, depending on which round there was. He was taking a few, you know, and then eventually he would get his takedown. Uh, and, but once he got there, not too much was done with it afterwards. You know, honestly, I thought, here's what I thought. I thought Michael Venom Page won round four for sure. But the first three rounds, because he stood for a while, and, and it's not like he damaged Logan Storley, but, you know, he would touch him at least. But I, I remember telling you, you know, when Michael Venom Page got taken down really early in round five, I was like, mm, I still would have kept my distance and my caution before I took that last minute chance. Now, it's right to also think that um, that uh, he might be down all four rounds or three of the four rounds, and so now he needs his finish or whatever. But I still thought, you know what? You could probably be a little bit more selective here because you never know, man, how the judges might be scoring. And if it is 2-2, you definitely have to at least win the round. But sure, it doesn't hurt to also go for um, you know, the finish. And when that one judge went 48, 47 page, I was like, holy crap, had he won round five, he'd be champ. Yeah, that you know, maybe I had to go back and watch it again. I agree. There are times where where a wrestler will grab someone and not really do much, but I felt like that was a little offset by the fact that he just had that position for so long, you know, and the other guy's just not doing anything at all. Uh, so to me, I thought it was clearly Storley, but some people that I respect had it for Michael Venom Page. Yeah, no, I definitely, my scorecard had Storley winning four rounds to one. Um, but I remember one of the rounds, Storley didn't get him down till I think there was two minutes left. That was one of the rounds I gave Storley, and Storley didn't do too much with it. And again, Page didn't do that much either in terms of action. Because he was also being somewhat cautious, but um, I, I think maybe what Scott was also trying to say was, "Look, okay, look, I get wrestling's a part of it. I definitely do, but just start doing something with it." I think controlling is something that he doesn't like, and I'm gonna try and find the the interview. But it was either the last one we did or the one before. Do you remember when we asked Scott or you did? I think about his type of fighter. And he distinctly said he wanted action. And I and I know the word wrestling came up, but he wanted he likes the guys that, that aren't stalling, they aren't controlling. He wants action. That's why hearing him frustrated like that did not shock me one bit. 
Yeah, I think it was two interviews ago that he had, that he had said that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, like I say, it's it, he can't change the way a fighter fights for sure, but he can definitely motivate fighters by uh, the raises or what have you. I mean, a perfect example is uh, Michael Chandler and what he's doing right now. I mean, no one's more proud and no one talks about their wrestling background more than Michael Chandler. He's an All-American from Missouri. He walked onto the team. He got his scholarship, you know, and though he never won a uh, NCAA title or whatever, he was proud of standing on the podium as an All-American. And he still wrestles to this day. But, man, he he developed his hands, and he's not afraid of throwing them. And not every wrestler is like that. I get it. But just look at how exciting Michael Chandler has become and and the way Dana talks about Michael Chandler now, you know. And this is obviously in the premier organization of mixed martial arts. So, again, not everyone has to be this way. But um, I saw Brian Bader knock out. Fedor Melianenko and the forum went nuts, you know, in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. I've seen a lot of wrestlers do this. I've seen a lot of wrestlers also just take down and control, and eesh, it's not good. I've seen Tyron Woodley. Look, Tyron Woodley is an All-American, and he's just and he's also put some people out, but I've also seen him stand there and kind of stall because he neither wrestled nor he threw hands. Uh, and he also got booed. So I've seen everything, you know, but I kind of understood what, what Scott Coker was saying. You know, he, he was asked about his score. He gave his honest assessment, and then he kind of just, like I said, I think he gave a subtle message without being too offensive. You got to give him a little bit of blame, too, for the Bader one, just because when you allow somebody to go up and wait like that, um, you're going to get a situation like Bader where he's just a little undersized. He's not really a natural heavyweight. And I think that's part of the reason why he had to fight Czech Congo the way he did. So in that one, I'd give Scott a little bit of the blame because if you're going to play the game of having guys go up up and down weight classes, you're probably going to have those circumstances. Yeah. You know, I'm more afraid to throw hands against Fedor than Czech Congo. How about you? No, I'd be more scared with uh, Congo right now. Really? Yeah. Fedor had way more knock- knockouts, didn't he? Yeah, but he's just not the same cat. All right. Well, not to harp on it too long. What I was happy about for Storley is he was a four-time All-American, and I believe he got to the to the finals. And he always came up short. He was one of those wrestlers like... Uh, Homeboy from Ohio State, the party, Dance Palmer, same thing. They never, they never had success there, and you could tell how much that title meant to him. He's a world champion. It might just be the interim title, but that one meant a lot to him, and I and I understood it because we've interviewed him a few times, and you know I I brought that up uh, coming up short in collegiate wrestling. Is that is that what fuels you the most? As I've seen it with other ones, and uh, it definitely was. So I'm I'm. Happy for him in that regard. You could tell that he really, really reached something in his combat sports sports career that was missing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The next night we had 
Bella, sorry, UFC on ESPN 36. <clears throat> that was headlined by Jan Blahovich versus Alexander Rakic, which we'll get to in just a sec. So let me give you some results here. Andre Petrovsky defeated Nick Maximoff. Tatsuro Tyra defeated Carlos Candelario. Verna Jandaroba defeated Angela Hill. Michael Johnson defeated Alan Patrick. Uh, Vivian Araujo defeated uh, Andrea Lee. Alan Nascimento defeated Jake Hadley. Manuel Torres defeated Frank Camacho. Caitlin Chukagian defeated Amanda Hebus. Davy Grant. I almost said it like Dan Tom. Davy Grant defeated <laughs> Luis Smolka. Ryan Spann defeated Jan Kutalaba. And Jan Blahovich defeated Alexander Rakic. Your bonuses went to Spann and Torres, Chikagian and Rebus. Hebus, excuse me. I wasn't a fan of the fight of the night enough for them to give them the 50 G's. I would have given 50 G's to Michael Johnson. Yeah, and the the other fifty G's to, um, Grant. Uh, yeah, who's missing here? Grant. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't really understand this one. I'm not always on the same page as the UFC for these bonuses. I don't really hate on them too much either, but this one to me was a little weird. That was her eleventh straight. Decision win. I remember Mike Bond saying she's the only person that out of her first 10 fights in the UFC, they've all, all the wins have gone to a decision. And I thought she might not get re-signed because she was a uh, she was a uh, free agent after her last fight. And I remember Alexis Davis didn't get re-signed. And she always kind of goes to a decision. She's a little bit older. So is Kaylin Chikagan. But I think Kaylin Chikagan is closer to the top. So she wins more than she loses. And she's kind of just been good in that gatekeeper role. But now Caitlin Chikagan is trying to ask for a second shot of Valentina. And I'm just not seeing it. I'm not seeing that. And I'm not seeing the whole uh, fight of the night. Uh, I'm like, ah, you know, like, I don't know. Um, just It wasn't a fight of the night to me, you know. And, and I thought the other ones were people that have put in their time. It's not like Grant only debuted recently. He's been a in the company for a while and saw as Michael Johnson. Um they delivered what fans show up for. You know, if the fight of the night's great, awesome. You know, but um that wasn't a great fight. It was a good fight. It wasn't a great fight, that's for sure. And the K yeah. whereas those other KOs were great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't really get this one. Yeah. So let's talk about some of these fights here. Um I went over the first fight fights i'll say it one more time petrovsky he just came off of the reality show uh tyra uh he looked pretty pretty good at lightweight there sorry flyweight uh jan Deroba, michael johnson Araujo. any thoughts on any of those fights individually man michael johnson i mean he just he needed this so bad and but his post-fight speech was so odd uh, because i mean He's always he's always got so much personality and always wants to talk, and this time he didn't. And it's off a big win, you know, where uh, he was probably fighting for his job. I thought that was a little He said odd. his life. Yeah, so he was starting to get a little dark there in some of the things he was talking about. Um, I've always known Michael to be one of the most chipper dudes on the planet. Very good guy, always gets back to you. I really hope 
the win brought him back to where he used to be mentally, you know, and going forward, like he's always a dangerous cat, no matter what, if he's on a four fight losing streak, fine. But he's got that explosion and that power that he can always put you out. So he's a good guy to have on the roster. And I'm glad he, this, I hope this win uh, kind of cements him there for a little bit more. Yeah. When they say that you often wonder, what does that mean? you know dark are they hinting are they reaching out for help like you know when you mention i'm fighting for my life my career and my life are two very 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 different things so you definitely never want to shit on a fighter when the media at in the back tried to find out a little bit more they got really shut down by ryan span because he said similar stuff maybe not like that um so I don't know if at that moment they're realizing, well, no, I, I definitely not in that dark of a place, or I just don't feel comfortable talking about it here, or who knows. I, I've often felt like, as bad as this sounds, like some fighters just say that because um, what can you say, man, when you've lost your last three or four? I remember Woodley saying the same thing to us one time. I feel like I'm always picking on Tyron, but he's been through so much in his career highs and lows and he's very popular and we've had access to him for many years i'm not picking on him but i remember him saying one time what was the difference between this camp and a few of the other ones and he said man i had to go to a dark place i had to go back to my roots this that whatever but i've heard him say it a few times and if you follow him on instagram it looks like he still leads a pretty interesting life you know and he seems to be pretty happy god bless him you know he made some good money on his last couple fights regardless of whether he won or he lost with Michael Johnson, you know, he was pretty open there a little bit that he is, I, I think people just aren't there for him. Who are those people? Coaches, teammates, friends, family? I don't know. He even had left the team, I guess, for one camp. Now he's back. He seems to be happy at Sanford. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if I'm the UFC, I think I would still reach out and do it in person, man. While you know they're in town, there's got to be someone that can say, hey, we need to have a cup of coffee for 20 to 30 minutes. Anyway, I'm not media. This is all off the record. But as a representative of the UFC, I just wanted to ask you, you know, can you specify a little bit more what you mean? We have a lot of resources here, aside from just the PI. If we can help you get through this difficult time, we would love to do it, you know? And, um, but just, I guess, like I say, hearing a few fighters say it recently and two on the same card was a little concerning. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, how's it going to hurt you to do that, to reach out? Like, how is that a bad idea? Versus if something does happen, the regret of never reaching out, right? At least do mm -hmm. it. I just don't understand that. More people need to do that. I agree. Uh, Jake Hadley's a guy that we had had on our show goes a couple times. He was undefeated. He is smoking people over at cage wars. He would give some fun interviews. We haven't talked to him in a while, but still we both kept an eye on him. Got excited about his, uh, debut in the UFC aside from, um, contender series. And look, I feel like he still has some talent, but one thing he just wasn't able to do was, uh, not get controlled and not, and, and, be able to get up from when Alan Nascimento uh, took him down. Alan, Alan Nascimento was able to 
you know, they were both able to stand and hurt each other a little bit. But once Nascimento got those takedowns, Hadley is uh, that's where he was beaten. And Hadley's not bad on the ground either. I think we just have to say, hey, Nascimento's not is also someone to keep an eye on. You know, that fight to me, like, <clears throat> I Hadley didn't get off on the right foot with the UFC, and it almost felt like a punishment fight. But even then, like, you're right. There were times where Hadley was being controlled, but there were also times where he got out of it and made, like, a couple mistakes that put him right back in the situation, right? I think it's one of those where he goes back and watches and goes, man, there's just mm -hmm. these couple key moments here that I probably could have got up or I could have done this. Um, I guess if this is going to happen, have it happen now when, you, when you're first starting and learn from it. But, uh, yeah, Jake Hadley's going to be very, very pissed off when he goes back and watches that fight. But Nascimento's a tough cat, so you got to give him that. But uh, hopefully he could turn things around because I think, I think he makes the UFC fun. He's that type of fighter. Yeah. They got two good fighters there in the light, flyweight division. You know, if you watch UFC 1, 2, 3, you got so used to seeing Hoist Gracie with the closed guard. Basically, he was mitigating damage. Hoist Gracie was always the smallest guy in the uh, octagon. And so that was his nice position where he kind of like would reset, make sure that he wasn't going to get mauled by anyone that was on top of him. And he would threaten with triangles and arm bars and or whatever. But now when I see it, because everyone's so well-trained, I almost feel like it's not just a stalling tactic, but it's a tactic of, I'm not as well-versed as the other guy on the ground because, as we all know, unless you open your guard, you ain't going to be able to basically get up. And Hadley closed his guard a lot. Now, again, if you get stole on and you fall to the ground or you grab a single and then you manage to control someone and they're on top and you close your legs, yes, for that moment in which you're hurt and you're just trying to, like, collect your thoughts clear the cobwebs or whatever, like they say, yes. And then, obviously, you go to work or maybe the round ends. But when you're there a lot, mm, no, yeah, I, you can just tell. And I think I would start with that. Uh, too many moments with closed guard and not initiating the process of getting up. Because anytime you can get up, I'm telling you, I've seen fights where you've been the guy on the bottom, and if you can get back to the feet in 10 seconds, if you throw a nice flurry and cause a little bit of damage, you can still come back and steal that round. That's why you always need to be trying to get back on your feet. Hopefully, Hadley starts with that, and then hopefully Hadley also starts with um, getting taken down. You know, it, 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 that, that, that needs to be worked on as well. Yeah, you know, maybe you just didn't want him to advance position. I don't know, but you're right. Nothing nothing good's really gonna come out of that closed guard. Yeah. Um, all right. So shake it off, Jake Hadley. You got a couple fans over here in Las Vegas. Manuel Torres dispatched the Frank Camacho. Camacho hadn't fought in a while, and there was a big spotlight on him, but Manuel Torres is the one that I think came away uh looking like a hero. He got the, the 50 G's. And he had some smooth striking, too. Everyone's talking about Manuel Torres. Yeah, you know, Camacho is one of those crafty veterans that you just kind of root for because he always comes out and gives you a good fight. But, yeah, it sucks to, uh, after a layoff for him to come out and have that performance. 
And I think we've already talked enough about Kalen Chukagan and Amanda Hebas. Chukagan got the split decision win over Hebas. You could tell the size difference. Chukagan is, remember, she fought at 135 and dropped to 125 in the last few years. And Amanda Hebas fought at strawweight, 115, and moved up to 125. You could see the size difference between the two. Heck, that might have been, um, you know, the, the difference there. You know, just uh, you just had a bigger gal, bigger, stronger gal. But Hebus had a pretty decent representation of herself. If that's the final thing, you know, she's going to stay at flyweight. God bless her. But I anticipate goes just like Mackenzie Dern, just like um, Cynthia Calvillo. And I promise you, I promise you, once you see it hasn't happened yet, and I'm not rooting for it to happen, but I think you're going to see with Alexa Grasso, too, at one point. She'll revisit Strawweight. I might be wrong on that one. I don't know because she's three and zero. I think as a flyweight, but um, you know, the body just tells you the the, the size just tells you. Right? Who knows? What we'll see what happens there. He was only like five three. I, I actually thought she looked pretty damn good, um, and arguably could have won that fight, but it she just came up short. And yeah, if you have to pick something, the, the size probably had something to do with it. Yeah. Davy Grant defeated Luis Smoka. Grant won the first round. Smoka's coming back in the second, or came back in the second, and made it a fight. And Smoka's been through so much. We've got to know this kid for a long time. Him now living in Orange County, I kind of root for him a little bit. And I, he's always been one of those guys where when the going gets tough, he doesn't always get going. And but. I was really happy for him, man, to really overcome that first round and the win round two. And then in round three, man, it just didn't go his way. He got finished. KO punches there. You know, congrats to Davey Grant. He's a tough SOB for sure. I think Smoke is going to look back and at least be proud that he did overcome that adversity, even though he came up short and now he's lost three out of four. And... I always get concerned because this is a kid that I remember overcame alcoholism, and yeah. um, and now that he's got you know he's got a significant other. I know he's got a kid. He seems to be more stable. Hopefully he doesn't get cut. Hopefully he can another fight. Hopefully he wins, and you know he can just keep some checks coming in. But he's a nice kid. Yeah, he's a good guy. Um, it is sad to see it go down that way. Davy Grant did what Davy Grant does. Dude, that guy gets needs to have more uh, credit. He's a tough fighter. You know, he found a way to win. And I'm sure at the end of round two, they were telling him, you know, this is a close fight. You got to come out and do something. And that that dude just fights on balls, man. I swear to God, he's a tough kid. So good win for him. Smoka, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where the UFC goes with him. Yeah. Well, like I say, at least it's not four in a row, but it is three of the last four. Now, had he won this last fight over Grant, then he could have been two and two in his last four. It's as simple as that. The UFC can cut you at any time they want. If they like you, then sometimes you'll get a little bit longer of a lifeline. Um, you know, and, and they need bodies. Okay, they they don't need all everyone to be a champion. There's a lot of fighters that kind of serve their purpose. They become that veteran test. For the young fighter that's coming out of tough or Dana White Contender Series, sometimes it's two of these veterans that have a name, but they can put them on a card because they have a little bit of value and 
the pressure's on because both veterans have been, you know, losing as of late. So, hey, someone really needs a W. And that can happen at a low level or it can happen like at a high level like it happened a week ago. Ferguson had lost three in a row and Chandler had lost. Uh, Chandler was one and two. But yet that was a big fight that everyone looked forward to and it delivered. And that, that's kind of what I would say at a high level. Two fighters kind of that had been in a minor skid um, at a high level. And luckily both, I think, will come out of it okay, even though despite Ferguson's vicious, vicious, vicious KO, he at least performed in round one and seems to be in good spirits. I don't know. Shout out to Mike Bond, who, by the way, caught up with Tony Ferguson. You can check that on YouTube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video. It kind of blew up on Friday. We'll get to, into that in just a second, but I wanted to give him a shout out. And also, he caught up with MVP, who recently just fought in that interim bite uh, about that we discussed. He talked to him last night, so that interview's up as well. If you want to check those out, youtube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video. That's also where you can catch Goes and I, our full interviews, and our uh, spinning back click franchise. Also, another one that we have, Legend of Legend. It just dropped. This one's done with Michael Bisping, uh, UFC, former UFC, and current Bellator uh, operations manager, uh, babysitter to the stars, good friend, Burt Watson, does these interviews with some of these select fighters from our sport that have reached that legendary status. And uh, check it out. One just dropped today, today, on the website. Or again, you can go to youtube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video. Now, getting back to what I was saying before I uh, plugged YouTube there. What was I saying, Goes? No, no, no. Yeah, I forgot. I blanked. Okay. So I'll just continue here. Oh, oh, uh, about Tony Ferguson's interview with Mike Bond. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So Ferguson was on there with Mike Bond. Oh, yeah, I was just giving an example of, yeah, where Smoko was, basically. And... So we'll go back to those interviews in just a sec. And I also want to talk about Tony Kelly in just a sec. But just to round things out, Ryan Spann, the light heavyweight division came strong in the in the main and the co-main event. Ryan Spann and Ian Kutalaba really, really were coming at each other really, really hard. I liked it. Kutalaba was kind of winning the stand-up. And then he would hurt. He would put Spann down or take him down, and then Span would get up, and he kind of kept going after this submission. Now, all this was happening fast, and I was like, bro, once you get up, like, separate, and then worry about finding an opportunity, you know? But I was wrong, because Span really, really went after that neck, and he was able to get him, and he submitted Jan Kutalaba. Um, and again, I thought he was going to set it up with strikes, or maybe get a takedown, and then go to work on the ground. No, man, he was going for it in standing positions and like i said it cost him a few times but he eventually got it it was really really nice he secured the uh submission guillotine in round one and then like i talked about with michael johnson he said he overcame a lot he wants to really address himself what does that mean everybody asked i don't know if you guys caught the post fight there must have been like five or six journalists that kind of took a stab at it and he would not go there what that meant exactly he just wants to work on himself. Um, and so, okay. I mean, we wish him the best, whatever that means. Uh, you do you, I guess, like they say. But he, he definitely looked good. Ryan Spann did. 
Yeah, I was one of those guys that, I mean, I'll admit, I was wrong. Every time he went for it, I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because, you know, like 80% of the time, this that that going for that risk puts you in a bad spot, right? Unless you're like just this wizard, like a Charles Oliveira or a Damian Maya or someone like that. But the guy pulled it off. You know, he pulled it off. He, 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 you could tell when he was going for it, he had this confidence about him. So, all right, you got to give him his props. And now that's another wrinkle to his game that you have to worry about. But uh, not the whole fight was really going his way. But he did get the victory. That's what counts. Yeah. You know that Jan Kutulaba guy? He um, He's kind of grown on me with his Hulk dressing up as a Hulk with his face-offs being so personal and aggressive and intimidating. And then he'll yell. At first, I thought, oh, come on, dude. Like, stop. Like, you're not there yet. You're not really scaring anyone. If anything, you mo- you know, you're, you're probably going to cause some problem, like with what Stevens did to close. Um, but he's kind of grown on me because he's consistently in in that that's his personality. That's just the way he gets himself up for a fight, you know. So I've almost started like look forward to it. But he really couldn't do too much with Span. Span the other day, I don't know if you saw the face off. He came in with his glasses, kind of looking down. He just wasn't into the whole get in your face game. He was kind of just nah, you do your thing, not being affected. Right. Um, and then Span, the Span is going to be kind of interesting to see, you know, like if he is able to address what he's talking about and, you know, get on some sort of a role, let's not forget, he started off a Dana White contender series and then he won the next four, five, if you count Dana White contender series before running into Johnny Walker's elbows and punches. Then he came back with a win over Misha Sirkinoff, then the loss versus Smith. What that was telling me was, hey, I'm pretty damn good, but I always seem to get checked by the best guys or the better guys. So now he's gotten past Jan Kutalaba. He'll probably get, you know, someone above him. And let's see if he can overcome, you know, and, and uh, kind of take that next step towards, I guess, being like a contender, if you will. You know, physically, he's got the tools. But I just kind of wish a little bit of personality would be injected into him a little bit. Sometimes he can be not annoying, but a little dry. Yeah, he's got 12 submissions and 5 KOs, so of his 20 wins, he does have 17 finishes. That's impressive. As far as what him and Johnson said, did you see anything that maybe it was related to more like mental health and they just, you know, they're allowed to be private in that regard? Or do you think it's just people that phrase things the wrong way and, um, you know, maybe we're being too overly constrained? You have to remember, Michael Johnson was okay with just walking away, you know, and not doing the interview. Um, So I wouldn't say it was like a cry for help. A lot of times people will say it's more of a cry for help. But he was kind of not forced into the situation, but, you know, he was pushed to talk about it. So um, it could be. It really could be. But uh, he's got such a big team over there that I would imagine – somebody would have had to have picked up on this at some point and maybe sat down with them and talked to him. So, but it doesn't hurt to reach out and just see if the guy's okay. Yeah. All right. Well, congrats to both. They won. And in the main event, uh, congrats to Jan Blahovich. He won. Now this fight really had me on the edge of my seat. These were some big cats. These last four. 
and everything they were doing, whether they were kicking each other in the calf, kicking in the body, punching the face, punching the body, can't get over Blahovich with that combo that he had where he'd go to the body with the left and then throw the overhand right. Of course, Alexander Ratchet, he was he was doing it back. You know, he was kicking and throwing straight punches. He heard Blahovich's eyes. And so I really was on the edge of my seat. You know, in a way, guys, this was almost a little bit of a fight of the night for me. I saw the other day a fight of the night only go around and and um and they got fifty thousand each, but this one had me like, holy cow, something's going to happen. I, I didn't want to blink because someone was going to get put out viciously. You know, um, they were changing stances for crying out loud just because those calf kicks were starting to add up. But it looked like Rakic uh, tore a ligament in his knee. Now, this is where I'm definitely no expert, but I believe it was the ACL. Um, but you could tell it was debilitating. He fell to the ground. That was the end of the fight. Jan Blachowicz luckily did not follow up with anything because there was a sequence that started. It just never really finished. That's why I, for a second there, I was like, what What did that? You know, was there a kick? What did I miss? I don't know. But no, he basically tore his knee. And uh, it was, uh, the fight needed to be stopped at that particular moment. He couldn't go on. So congrats to Jan Blachowicz. I would say... I was leaning towards it looked like Rakic might come out on top because I think Blahovich also, as the further the fight goes, he becomes the more exhausted fighter. And, and Rakic was being aggressive, which he hadn't been in his previous fights. Um, and Rakic was willing to take the fight to the ground where we knew Blahovich was a little bit weak. If he put him on his back, he, he did do that in the second round. So I thought, okay, this guy ha- is... He's following a game plan of what it would take to beat Blahovich. Uh, you know, but you you never know because every time Blahovich is standing, he's lethal. That was a tough one to call because I thought Rakic was getting the better of him, but he had so much output. He was so aggressive that I couldn't see him doing that over five rounds. Like he had to have calmed down a little bit. Possibly. Um, but the injury, you know, he said it's something that happened in camp, right? So in camp. I don't know if maybe he strained it. I mean, that should be like a lesson to fighters. I know they're tough and they want to push through things, but now he's got a tear, you know, now he's got to go into surgery and he's got to rehab it and all that. He was right there, man. He was on the cusp. That would have been a huge win. I can't believe he fought that long that well before the injury, but it's unfortunate to see that. It's unfortunate for both guys too, because Jan, uh, he gets the victory, but, you know, like like both of us said, I thought he was kind of losing that fight. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Francis Ngannou. He went into a fight with a knee injury, and it paid off for him. So, it you know, it sucks because he'll probably be out about a year. Except Ngannou got away with the dub. You know, he he wrestled. He he wasn't as active and and um, physical as Rakic was, and so maybe that allowed him to, you know be able to sustain i guess the performance without injuring it for injuring it uh further enough that he had to quit the fight so we'll see we'll see what happens uh i don't know the extent of it either way i don't know if we can compare them both as apples to apples i just know they both apparently had something going in to the fight but rackage is look like uh 
a a, a tear. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it because I've seen fighters fight through um like they have this ACL problem because there's different degrees of you know these tears and which ligament it might be. So I've seen I've seen and heard of fighters go into a fight with a torn uh, ACL, and I've seen them tear it in the fight and still continue. His was different because the way it happened, he just immediately fell to the ground. And I suppose Blahovich could have started drilling him. I suppose Rakic could have maybe grabbed a single. I suppose maybe he could have survived at the end of the round. But then what would have happened? Like I say, is it just one tear? Is it a full tear of the different? There's the LCL. There's a PCL. You know, like what else is there? That that degree, I don't know. Um, I just wish him the best is all I can say. Yeah, wish him the best. And when he comes back, you know, I think people can – and kind of measure what it is he did. And I think he'll come back with a little bit of momentum versus, you know, how when most people get a loss, they have to rebuild. I don't think Rakic, Rakic will have to do much rebuilding. And, of course, Yuri Prochaska is the one that's challenging Glover next. But you never know, man. Blahovich might be able to get, you know, weasel his way in there a little bit if uh, if no one else kind of steps up. You know, Dominic Reyes, haven't heard too much from him. I know Anthony Smith, he's never given up on trying to be a title contender either. Um, John Jones, as we all know, he now resides in the heavyweight division. He seems to be waiting on um, Stipe Miocic. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Congrats to Jan Blahovic. All right, a couple things here. Tony Ferguson goes, let me see if I can say it as quickly as I can because I know we're wrapping up soon. Tony Ferguson was very vocal pre-fight, but then backed it up in the fight. You know, he looked good in that first round, knocking down Michael Johnson, being more active, moving his head, not just being an easy target. And then he walked into a front kick that even Chandler says he doesn't throw very often, um, but it was vicious. So then we all thought, oh, boy, are we even going to hear from this guy for the next six months or a year? Nope, he was right out there doing media, actually very congratulatory with Chandler, playing around with the haters on Twitter. That was on Monday. Then on Tuesday, he kind of started, uh, you know, like not being as friendly. In fact, going after D.C. and uh, alleging that he might have a cocaine habit or whatever. And so you're like, what are you doing? Like, you know. <laughs> You were in such a good mood the day before. What's going on here? And um, anyway, then he has this interview with Mike Bond, where, again, I thought he came off pretty good. A lot of raw honesty in there. Um, I, I think my only problem is there's sometimes sometimes there's too much either Tony Robbins or pro wrestler into every answer i don't need it with every answer i don't need this motivation or this saying or proverb that you lean on or a quote just sometimes you just answer the question you know but regardless i thought he came off all right and i looked at the early comments a lot of people were really really pleased to hear from el Kukui. and by the way you cannot deny that el Kukui is pretty damn popular with the pop he got in arizona and the one i see on social media so for someone that's lost four in a row, he definitely seems in good spirits. But, again, what did you think of that whole week? Kind of like the little up-and-down Jekyll and Hyde personality that he had. I mean, it's par for the course with him, right? Like, he kind of does those sorts of things. But I just don't understand why he has to go to that, like, 
dark side of Tony where, you know, he's coming at people that really probably don't need to be come at, at the, at the moment, you know, like it's just a little odd. Um, I did like that. He's at least trying to address what's going on that. I appreciate, you know, a lot of times people who lose fights want to go away. They don't want to talk. I appreciate that Tony wanted to talk and I appreciate that he's already trying to solve the puzzle trying to figure out what went wrong and what he could do to fix it. Um, but I can't remember which fighter said it. I mean, a lot of it, I don't know that it has to do with the way he fights. I, I think you have to look within yourself, man, and just and just realize a lot of that blame is probably on yourself. He left some options there to join some teams. He says he wants to be part of a team again. He says um, Jackson Wink reached out. Or at least one of the coaches there did. Brandon Gibson, that's a striking coach. Uh, I maybe John Wood from Syndicate because he mentioned Syndicate. He called it Syndicate M, and he called it another name, but it's it's Syndicate here in Las Vegas. The Fight Syndicate, I think he called it, but it's Syndicate MMA. And then he mentioned John Hackleman, and I thought, ah, like I don't know that Hackleman's kind of really had much of a team. Look, he was in his glory days with Liddell and grooming Glover Teixeira at some point. Um, he's been in Teixeira's corner, but he's not part of Teixeira's camp. Teixeira lives on the opposite end of the United States in Connecticut. He's no longer in San Luis Obispo. hasn't been there a long time. If anything, he drops down to American Top Team. But I think he's got a fondness for Hackleman, and Hackleman has been in, the, in his corner, to be fair. And I'm not saying he doesn't offer anything. I'm just saying, but does he have a team? I don't know, because even the guys like Court McGee and Ramsey Nijum and a lot of the other guys that primarily were based out of Salt Lake City that used to talk about the pit fighting system or whatever it was called, like, I haven't heard much from it. Now, is it convenient for Tony? Perhaps. He's from the central or he's from the, the coast of California, coastal California, where originally I think he's from the Santa Barbara, Oxnard area. So going up the coast a couple of hours would work, except he relocated to Southern California, but not, Actually, it's all Southern California, but maybe more towards Orange, Orange County a while back. And he still seems to be in that area. He's got his gym or whatever. So my whole point was he felt, he, he even talked about that. He made it. He implied almost like Glover was still with Tackleman. And so I'm thinking, Tony, do a little bit more research before you decide on what gym you want to go to. Because if you are looking for what you had at Rain Training Center, which was Mark Munoz's gym, and Mark Munoz had, back in the day, Chael Sonnen had relocated to Southern California for a little while, or he was doing his camps there. Brandon Schaub, Michael Bisping. Like, it was a little bit more of a busier house. Jake Ellenberger. Yeah, exactly. I don't know that you're going to find that up there unless he's got this new Scott. And maybe I need to do my research, but I try tend to follow this sport pretty closely and at least i know glover's not with him there you know he just basically is with him on fight week but hey whatever you can discover okay it was a great interview check it out on our youtube page or you can go to junkie and do the whole scroll thing however whatever works easier for you some people like that some people like youtube i don't know let's close with this goes andrea lee's boyfriend tony kelly not her ex-husband like some guy named don donnie or something like that not to be confused, because if you recall, about five years ago, four years ago, her ex-husband, I think, was found to have a Nazi tattoo. And at first, it was like, oh, yeah, this part of my past. And 
But then people started some research and they found out that he had certain beliefs or whatever. And so what they quickly tried to dismiss it, you know, at least it didn't work with the, you know, the people, the, the people on social media that uh, felt like there was still something out there. And then of course they had this alleged in, or I don't even know where, what stage it was, but there was a domestic problem. Eventually those two parted. In fact, I think this guy wound up being on the run and then they caught him nine months later. But so now she, uh, I know she relocated to Northern California for a while. I don't know if it was just for camps or what, cause she's a Texas gal. If I'm not mistaken. And so I don't know where she's at in that, but what I can tell you is she met Tony Kelly, who is uh, a UFC bantamweight, I believe. And uh, eight and two overall. I didn't even know they were dating, but and I didn't even know this happened. But I guess one of the international broadcasts caught him uh, saying these dirty fucking Brazilians. So kind of like a general statement, not like this particular Brazilian, kind of like a general statement, which, of course, people said racist. And I have to remind people. Racist means you believe you're above everyone else. And I also believe racist means if Andrea were to tell Tony, guess who's coming over, Anderson Silva, he were to say, that man does not enter my house. I think that's when you're really, really talking about someone who's like racist, racist. What you can be is you can possibly throw a stereotype out there or you know, there's bigotry. And so I feel like he was very ignorant in this statement, very, I guess, insensitive in this statement. Now, could there be more to it? I don't know, because I'm not going to sit there and spend eight to 10 hours. I, I will confess, though, goes, I did go back about at least 20 to 30 posts just to see if they're what this guy's all about. I didn't see anything out there that told me that that's what he's all about. This was just on Twitter. I didn't do a deep dive into Instagram or anything. But what he did, did say was wrong. And I thought, especially when this is all about Andrea Lee, what you could do is just say, in, an, in a heated moment, I said something that I understand is offensive, and I apologize. Because what you want to do is you want to take the heat off her. This isn't you, Tony Kelly, that's fighting. It's her. You know what I mean? So now there's this big spotlight on her. And um, I don't know. I... I you know, a few, a lot of people have already condemned the statement, what he said, and 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 then, of course, I think he might have made it worse by calling it cancel culture. Um, so this is what he said. He said, cancel culture is real. What I said was real, and in the heat of battle, and in no way any type of racist connotations meant. But if that's the way you take it, I-D-G-A-F. I don't give a fuck. So many people quick to say racist. That shit's getting so old. My reference was to the dirty eye poke. So I get what he's saying that I thought the um, the eye poke was, you know, you're fighting a dirty fighter. But again, he said these dirty fucking Brazilians, like in general, not every Brazilian is 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 uh, going after your eye. Have there been a few in the past? Yeah. Husamar Pajaras was pretty dirty, a pretty dirty fighter, you know, so there have been incidences out there, but you, that doesn't go for. You know, every fighter. Damian Meyer was one of the most classiest fighters I ever came across. Anyway, what are your thoughts on all of this? Well, he's not going after a particular race. He's going after a nation. But his comments are wrong. He shouldn't have said it. 
It's just one of those where you have to take the L. Don't try and fight back. I don't know that it has to do with cancel culture or anything like that. You just offended people. You know, they have the right to be offended. Uh, don't say stupid things. I'm sure everybody's conversations behind closed doors probably don't match what they say on the street, but you have to know your audience and where you're at. Don't say those things. Like, how could you think you're going to say that and get away with it? It's just like George said, apologize, move on. Because in our sport, somebody will do something stupid today and we will forget about it. But if you keep fighting back and keep trying to think that what you did was okay, you're going to lose. You, you just are. And and it doesn't just affect you. It affects Andrea. Mm-hmm. Keep it short and sweet. Here's what he said exactly. That's what they're going to do. They're dirty fucking Brazilians. They're gonna, they're going to cheat like that. That's just too general of a statement about fighters from a country, um, because they, <laughs> it's, just, it's just wrong. Here, I think I may be able to play it. Hold on one second. That's what they're gonna do. They're dirty fucking Brazilians. They're gonna fucking cheat like that. Guess what? We came to fuck somebody up, and we will look. Yeah. See, like that's just yeah. not good. The first comment on social media, or one of the first ones I saw, was just Chris Cyborg. She said, um, "Or you could just apologize, admit what you said was wrong, and move forward instead of trying to justify yourself." She didn't even lay down the hammer, and she's Brazilian. You know, yeah. like again, I think do it for the sake of just. Uh, of Andrea is, what, is all I'm saying because this is going to be a big shadow that's cast over Andrea. Let's not forget Andrea is still shaking what happened last time. I mean, right away people were like, "So what does she do? Does she race? Does she like to date people?" You know, again using the R word, racist. Um, you know, like I don't know. I, like I say, fighters. I think he could have kept it short and sweet. I'm not a race. Hey, everybody, I'm not a racist, but I do apologize for the offensive remark I said. On Saturday night, um, I congratulate my girlfriend on going out there and competing. Man, I can't wait for her to compete again. But I was out of line in what I said, and I deeply apologize because I offended a lot of people, you know, and heat of battle or whatever. And boom, we all move on. Cancel culture is <laughs> you also can't just do something wrong. And when people call you on it, you can't say that's cancel culture either. You know what I mean? That's not really cancel culture. I don't know. I, I don't want to get into that, but um, I like Tony Kell. I think he's a, a really good fighter. I think he's the guy that beat Randy Costa last in the last the last time they competed, if I'm not mistaken. He's got Yanez coming up. Um, and I am no way am I asking for his job. I'm just pointing out what happened. Um, and I and like I say, uh, I just. I just thought it was wrong. Anyway, all right, folks, that's our show for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We had fun watching the fights all weekend. And keep it locked on MMA Junkie throughout the week. Of course, we got more headed your way this week. Their one championship has a card. Not They don't have a lot of their MMA superstars on it. But they have a card, to be fair. There's also P uh, Eagle FC, Eagle FC 47, Jorgen DeCastro and J Junior DeSantos. Diago Silva and Hector Lombard, they're fighting on that card. And, of course, the UFC has their card headlined by Ketlin Vera and Holly Holm. 
in the uh, main event. So that one seems to be a pivotal fight for the Bantamweight division. I think it's been about 18 months goes, if I'm not mistaken, since Holly Holm has fought. So, and she's up there, man. I think she's 39 or 40. She doesn't have too many years left. So I think if she's going to make her move, she should probably make it pretty soon. In the co-main event, Santiago Ponzanibio against Michelle Pajeda. That should be a good one, too. And, uh, of course, check out Legend of Legend. Shout out to Goes, Burt Watson, and Abby Supan. Shout out to Abby Supan, who is now with our uh, website full-time. He was a, a contributor in the past, but now you're going to see a lot more of his work. I call him and uh, Ken Hathaway, the dynamic duo. We have two great videographers now that are with us uh, full-time. And I uh, give a shout out on Saturday. I want to give another one to our pal, Dan Tom, who is for about a month. He hadn't been doing his show, but he's right back at it. And once he's, once he gets on the grind man, he's out there producing them every week. So give him a, a follow because he'll give you some great informative info before you go out there and make your pet be, uh, bets. You have any final words goes? Uh, no, just looking forward to, to what's coming up next cool let's bounce then we're out of here folks enjoy your week we'll see you all on thursday go out there and be a champion